please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation, the fifth chapter. And this evening we're going to be looking at the victorious and glorious Lamb. The victorious and glorious Lamb. From Revelation chapter 5. Long ago, after times of great war, especially in the West, after victory, there was usually a period of celebration, rejoicing, an outpouring of gratitude that the fighting was over and there was victory, a time of rejoicing over a hard-fought victory, a time to remember those who sacrificed much, and we can think back to times such as the end of the Second World War. I don't know if you've any seen those old images and pictures of people when they heard that the war was over in Europe and the joy that was seen across the United Kingdom and other parts. A hard-fought victory, a difficult victory. Many monuments still remain around these islands to brave soldiers who gave so much. A difficult victory, costly victory. Now we're thankful today that we have relative peace in the West, aren't we? We're, we're, we're thankful and we can look at places like Ukraine today. And in Ukraine, they have obviously war. And we pray in the near future that they too can celebrate a victory for themselves. And that they can look back in the near future and think that victory, hard fought, was worth it. The closest thing we probably see today in this part of the world is... You know, at the end of sports, teams win a, a trophy and there's a parade maybe through a town and there's great celebration. Here in Revelation chapter 5, there is a celebration of victory, but it's not like the other victory parades that you've seen. Um, this celebration is different. It's forever. It doesn't end. It's glorious. It's splendor never fades. I remember, you probably know I was born in Cork, and whenever Cork would win the All-Ireland in either football or hurling, there would be flags everywhere. Every part of the county you knew when you were entering and leaving the county. My mother's from Kerry, same thing would happen whenever they would win anything there. Just a sea of flags and celebrations, but they didn't last forever, did they? Imagine, if you will, someone is still talking about their team and they're still remembering victories from the 70s and the 80s. And you say, well, has your team won since then? Nah. It would seem maybe a bit sad. But, but our victory is very, very different. Our celebration is different. It is forever. We celebrate it every Sabbath, that victory. And we celebrate that victory at the Lord's Supper today, didn't we? That victory is secure. We remember the Lamb's victory. The old cups from teams in the 70s, the, the shine of that trophy and that win may diminish over time. But this splendor and glory and radiance of this victory will never, ever fade. Because of the nature of the victory. Because it is eternal glory, eternal blessings, and an eternal victory. So let us now read Revelation chapter 5, 
Let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. And they saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the, four, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels round the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is, on, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. The book of Revelation, this book of the apocalypse, as it's sometimes called, can often cause some misunderstanding in modern Christians when they read this book. It can sometimes stir up fear, can't it? You read through the book of Revelation and you see these images of beasts and what might be seen to be these scary things that are going to happen in the future of suffering. But there is the danger, I think, perhaps, of losing the sense that this is a book of victory. It's a book of victory. It's a book of glory. And it's really a book of encouragement. The Christian ought to read this and be encouraged reading it. That might seem like a strange thing to say, but in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 it says this, 
Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You see this? Blessed is he who reads. You read this book. The Christian ought to be blessed. And when John was writing this about 95 AD, near the end of the first century, coming on nearly 2,000 years ago now, the time was, at, was near, and it was going to map out history from that point onwards all the way to the end of the world. Why is there a blessing? Well, as we see through the book of Revelation, Yes, it does talk about suffering. And yes, it does talk about difficult times for the saints. And yes, it does talk about horrible things in some ways. But another way to look at it is this. No matter the suffering, no matter the disappointments in this world, no matter the pain, and no matter the apparent losses to the enemy, and I say apparent losses, there is sure and certain victory. It is sure and it is certain It keeps us going to know that at the end there will be, yes we have victory today, but there will be open and clear victory. And it comes only in the name of the Lamb of God. Our first point that we're going to look at here this evening is the Lamb's persistence. The Lamb's persistence. It says in verses 1 to 5, and I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then in verse 5, it says this, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Now here we have a scroll or a book. Um, Actually, the word is where we get the word Bible in in English, Biblion. And so this word could be a scroll. There were these things that were rolled out. And sometimes they would be sealed. Now this is a picture, not of a literal book per se, but it is sealed with seven seals. Now the book of Revelation is filled with pictures. It is filled with symbols. In the scroll... There is much written on it. Look at verse 1. It says this. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who is him? The Lord. A scroll written inside and on the back. Sealed with seven seals. Inside and on the back. Long ago they would write typically on one side of a document. And if they really want, if the paper was a bit scarce, they would write on both sides of the document. Now what's this saying for us today? There's no gap. Every part of this document is filled with information. There's no spaces missing. It is filled with what? What is it filled with? And what makes John then cry? Verse 4, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. He desires greatly to see what it says. What does it say in here? With every part of it taken up. This filled book. He wishes to understand the book. Now there's seven seals we have here. And it's something, isn't it? You could take away from this. It's secret. There's something not yet revealed. 
It is something closed up. And Revelation, if you look, in the next chapter, Revelation chapter 6, the seals are opened and it's the unfolding of history. And in whose hands? God's. And what is that? The secret counsel of God. His secret will. Now we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow, do we? But our God does. And God hasn't revealed everything to us. He's only revealed to us what we need to see. And so this is talking about the secret, you could say the secret counsel of God. His secret will. Versus you could say the revealed will which is seen in the word of God. Now, who has the right to delve into these deep things of God? These are deep things, aren't they? Who has the right to open up the seal, to reveal it, to show it what is going to happen in the future? Who has the right to do this? And it appears at the beginning, and John weeps, that no one is worthy. No one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look in it. Verse 5 then says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Who is worthy? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And that word, and that number seven, is often a number of completion. So it's completely sealed. Who dares open this? Well, the one who prevailed, the one who persisted to victory. The lamb who endured all that he endured has, is worthy to open up this book, this scroll. He endured humiliation. The lamb of God, this king of glory, he, he came in under the law. Imagine this. He came in under the law into the sin-cursed world with a mission to keep the law in our place. We're not just fed by his death, we're also fed by his life. His perfect life. Christ assumed human flesh, capable of suffering. And Christ, the Lamb of God, what kind of suffering did he go through? Hunger. He was tempted by the devil in 40 days. Thirst. Tiredness. Exhaustion. Notice how none of the things I'm saying here, he wasn't tempted with Sinful desires. He was a perfect, holy man. But he had natural, non-sinful weaknesses. Hunger. He was tempted by food. Remember the devil offering him food? He was tempted by glory. He was the king of glory. Who would have all of this belong to him? Anything the devil offered him in in those verses in Matthew chapter 4? It all belonged to him anyway. That's why he was tempting in the first place. Tiredness. Remember he slept in the boat. Exhaustion. Sadness. He wept at times. He went through all these things. And the pain of the cross and the wrath of God. He endured all these things. The loss of the glories of heaven. Now, we need to be careful with this as well. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, never ceased to be God. He never ceased to fill all things. Even when he was a baby in the manger. Even a wee baby in the the manger. He still, as God, filled heaven and earth. He maintained all things as God. Now we struggle to get our minds around this. 
However, he is infinite. He is glorious. And as God, as man, he persisted and prevailed. Now, in heaven, there's nothing to endure, is there? There's nothing to prevail. Heaven is wonderful, absence of sin, absence of pain. For there's no suffering there. But the, the, the Lamb's way of victory it came not in the way that we would expect it. How do we expect victory today? You know, um, you think there's a war going on at the moment, Ukraine versus Russia. Who's going to prevail? Well, the one with probably the better weapons, the better strategies, and the one who will forcefully, powerfully overtake the others. That's how we often think of kings going forth to conquer. But this king went forth to conquer through meekness. Through meekness as a lamb, submitting unto death and the cross, being lowly of heart, enduring the mocking of the world, having victory over death and hell. That's how he had victory. He submitted. And it was one of the reasons why the Jews of the first century struggled so much with Jesus. Here's this powerful God who would come and conquer. They see this in the Old Testament. Well, look how meek he is. This can't be him. But this is how he had victory. And this morning we saw how Christ came to die. He came willingly. As true God, he came, he laid down his life of his own self. But we also have to think about his human will. His human will. Because he suffered greatly. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat drops of blood. What the Lamb of God endured. And this is why, because Jesus is true God, he has a divine will, and he also has a human will. And this is how he can say this, Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He submitted to us. Now, there's nothing sinful in not wanting to suffer, is there? But he knew that this was the way of God. To submit and to persist, to prevail. And because he prevailed, he was able here, as you see in Revelation chapter 5, to open the scroll, to loose its seals, to be worthy to do this, to unfold what would happen in history. So the Lamb's persistence. Now we're going to look at number two, the Lamb's power. The Lamb's power. And as we've said already in previous two sermons, this picture of the lamb is strange, isn't it? Uh, it's not a weak lamb. Again, there's different pictures. There's the lion, there's the lamb, there's other pictures used as well. But he is not a weak, helpless lamb. He is a powerful lamb. Now the thing is, God comes down to our level. And one theologian, John Calvin, described it this way. It's almost like you're speaking to small children. He comes down to our level and speaks in a language we understand. This is why he uses these pictures. The lamb, the lion. We understand these pictures, don't we? These pictures of creatures we see all around us. Because we can't understand the infinite. 
But he uses these pictures to teach us about himself, about his infinite power, his infinite glory. You see, dear friends, it's not really weakness, is it, to submit to God. It's not weakness to follow the way of truth, the way of meekness, and the the way of the peacemaker, the way of the lamb as laid out here, is not the weak way. It is the way of victory. It is the way of power. It is the way of glory. It is never weakness to look and to follow the lamb. Because he's not only a lamb, he's also a lion. Verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah. As I was mentioning this morning, sometimes I will watch these nature programs. And there was, there was I saw this video, there was about, I, know, I think there was about 10, 15 hyenas. The lion had caught one of them and one of them was going to be his lunch. And the pack of hyenas were not happy about this. And they all come in, try to get the lion away from that one hyena. And they fought and they fought. But there was one lion and he was well outnumbered. You think, oh, he's in trouble. No. He powerfully defeated over ten of them. And after a while, they stopped challenging his power. And all he had to do was threaten to go forward. And they were scared. And you could see it. They stopped challenging his power. Do we see his power as believers in Jesus Christ? See, the world doesn't see his power and wishes to challenge his power and his might and his glory. See, a Christian sees that he is all-powerful, all-glorious, and just says, Lord, you are in control. And the only wise and sane thing I can do is submit and be meek. And lowly and learn from the feet of God, from the feet of the Lamb, Christ Himself. There's a picture here in verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb, as though He had been slain. It's an incredible picture. He had been slain, having seven horns. And horns are a picture of strength, aren't they? In the ancient world, they would talk about, um, they would see pictures of animals with horns as being more powerful than the other. So the horn was a picture of power. And it's seven. That's an interesting number. Yet again, seven horns. Perfect, complete strength and power. A picture of strength. It would be an interesting thing to go through the book of Revelation and look at all the sevens that are there. The seven spirits. Perfect strength. Perfect power. And he's also got, look at this as well in, in the same verse. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Seven eyes. Now we're not going to try and see this literally. That would be a very strange image. But seven eyes, what does the eye do? It sees. And the complete vision. Perfect sees everywhere, it even describes it a bit further here, which have which are the seven spirits sent out into all the earth. Perfectly sees all that happens. And it's the same image as saying God fills all things. God sees all things. God knows all things. Nothing holds him back. He is the one we worship. 
He is the one who died and rose again from the grave. There are times in our lives when we see that we're not in control and we see the truth of this text. God sees all things and he has full power and control. I remember, it was actually Friday night after the pre-communion, I was driving home a little bit after Anna Clone and we had a bit of an accident. I don't know how many actually know about this. And there was, um, there was kind of slurry got stuck in the tires and steering wheel didn't seem to work anymore and we did a complete 360. And that evening I remember thinking, it was so weird, no matter what I did with the steering wheel, nothing happened and I said, I'm not in control. But it reminded me of something. God is. There was another factor at play in our car. There was, I couldn't do anything about it. But it reminded me that I was not in control. Our family, praise God, were protected that evening by God. We're all okay. We're all fine. Praise God. But there are times in our lives, by the providence of God, he'll show us we're not in control. We are not in control. And it's a blessing to see it. He is in control. He's in control when we die. He's in control when we get sick. He's in control when we have no money. He's in control when the roof leaks. He's in control every moment. And he has a good reason for it. We may not see the reason for it. But look at what the picture says. Seven eyes sent into all the world. He knows the wisest course of action. In all things. He's the one who sees all, controls all things. And he, and you see, it brings us to the Lord's table. That one who knows all things is the one who fed us today. He's the one who fed us. He offers us himself. He's not a God of our imagination. He's the true God of heaven and earth. He offers us nothing less than himself. And that's what makes the Lord's table such a rich blessing. We're not just eating literal bread and you know the fruit of the vine. Yes, we are, but it is something that points towards something far greater. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at the Lamb's power. Now we're going to look at the Lamb's price, verses 7 to 10. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang with a new song, a new song. Remember, we sung that earlier uh, from Psalm 98. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the, the scroll and to open its seals. And you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And this is all possible because the lamb is worthy. This would not happen without the lamb. And the lamb was worthy to open these seals. The lamb is victorious because of what he has done. And because of who he is. He is glorious. Showing who he is. And it's only when we see the price of the lamb. The value of him. 
how precious he is, how precious his blood is. If you have anything you value tremendously in your house, you'll keep it, won't you? You're very careful with it. I don't have many things um, that I'm very, very careful with at home, but I think there's a few rare old books that I love, and I would probably be very careful to drink coffee around them, because I've spilt coffee in a few books here and there. So you kind of keep the coffee pot away from the book, because you value it. We're careful with things we we value. Our God, the Lamb of God, because we have such a high opinion of him, when we come into his presence, we value it. We, We give him praise, and because of the value we give to him, how can we calculate this value? Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. They're praising him because he is the only one worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. He died. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He paid a death that no one other could pay. He is the only way. He is the truth, the way, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through him. And we, we praise him for this. He is the only Way. He's not one of many ways. He's the only way. And we praise him for that. The only way away from death and hell. Is he not precious to us? The blood of the lamb shed. It is food and drink. His body and blood. It is food and drink to our souls. If he is precious to you, dear Dear friend. Here's how you'll know it. Perhaps you're at work. Perhaps you're hearing people you've, you're friends with. But they're not careful how they talk about God. And when they talk about God, they use the Lord's name in vain. And it grieves you. Or when you see something out in the world. What makes you sad is that God is dishonored. Not because you're mocked. And as the more you'll grow in your maturity in Christ... What will make you sad is that men do not keep the law of God. That all around the world there are people who drift further and further from the law of God. And it's not for our glory. It's for his. Because we value him. Any value we have comes from God. Anything we have comes from God. We depend on God for everything. And we reign with him. And look at this, verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Who else could give such gifts? Who else could give such benefits? Could you imagine someone on this earth saying, If you will come and follow me, I will give you a kingdom. And they say, Why aren't you following him? Oh, you don't know what he wants me to do? I don't care what he wants you to do. Just. The gifts we've been given is incredible. And what we, in this world, surrender, and, you know, because we can often get distracted by things in this world, they're but dust and ashes. But the glories of heaven we so often neglect, don't we? Myself included. 
the, the benefits and the blessings we have in Christ. How much do we value? How much do we value his life? We think about his life. We, we talked about his death a lot today. But how about his life? How he lived? His example? How he showed love, keeping the law? Shouldn't it be something that we value and treasure? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, again, a new commandment. We, we preached on this a few weeks ago. A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And the previous verse says, and no new commandment I write unto you, than that which is from the beginning. Then the next verse, he says, again, a new commandment. And a new commandment is this. Jesus has come into the world. That precious light showing us what it is to live that life. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Is he precious to you? Is he precious? Is he the pearl of great price? Is he the thing that you will gladly... S- Everything else in the world is but vanity of vanities. And you see how wonderful Christ is. You see how wonderful the Lamb is and his example. So much so you will flee all and come to him and be part of his people. Our final point now is the Lamb's people. The Lamb's people. So the Lamb's persistence, this is how he had victory. The Lamb's power seen in these images shown in, in Revelation 5. The Lamb's price, he is precious, worthy of all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. And finally, the Lamb's people. We are the Lamb's people. And again, what a strange image it is to see this a Lamb being worshipped it is a strange picture but it shows us how he had victory and it and he that lamb of god is worthy of all the praise all the honor and all the glory verses 11 and 12 says this then i looked and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. For the previous verse, you might want to get out your calculators. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Look at the countless who who praise him. That that huge number. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Now, it's not really about that we get out our calculators and start working out how many exactly were there, is it? The greatness of a kingdom is often seen by the great number, isn't it? Following, the Lord of hosts is often the name that, that the Lord has given throughout the Bible. That, that could also be said, the Lord of armies. He is powerful because he is of great size of power and armies behind him. The greatness of the kingdom and empire is often seen with size. Say, for example, you said, I am a king. Well, how many people do you rule over? 
Uh, ten. Probably wouldn't be the most impressive kingdom in the world if it was just ten. Um, but there is a symbolic number here. And this is, again, as we said, not really a number to be calculated. Because in, verse, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes and peoples and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. But what about that number given in Revelation? Look at the size of it. Look at the completeness of it. Like the number 10 can often be used as a number of completion as well. The complete, this mass number of, of God's people, the Lamb's people, redeemed with the Lamb's blood. What do they wish to do? What is their natural inclination? Worship. The Lamb's people are a people of praise. And we're not alone in our praise. In our praise. We may only have a few, you know, 30, 40, however many people are here this evening. We may think that our numbers are small. But we're not just part of this congregation in Rathra Island. We're part of a huge church. Really. Which number is so large, so vast... No calculator in the world could number it. To try and get your head around the number, go to your nearest beach, maybe in Donegal. Get every grain of sand and start counting the grains of sand on that beach. Count them one after another. And you might get an idea of how many people there will be. That's the number we're talking about, which we're part of. The Lamb's people. It shows, doesn't it, his greatness. His kingdom is not over 10 people. It's not over 10,000. It's 10,000, 10,000, and thousands of thousands. A complete number to love and praise the Lamb. And is this your group? Is this the people you identify with? Is this the people? Yes, I wish to be with those people. I wish to be in those presence singing the same praises and the same songs that they are singing. No, I do not wish to follow the world. The world's has nothing but bitter herbs for me. It is tasteless for me. I wish to be in the presence of the Lamb, singing the same things, because I agree with what they say. It makes my heart rejoice. He has fed me. He has clothed me. He has given me His life. He is worthy of all the praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. And it says in verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven... And on the earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea. And all that in them. I heard saying. There's everywhere. Every creature. And this is a picture isn't it again. Of everywhere you see there is praise. Because there will come a time. When there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Where all who will dwell upon this new. On this new earth. Will praise him. And in heaven. The Lord brought heaven and earth into, into, into being to glorify him. The heavens declare the glory of God. Is that your heart here this evening? After we fed, we've had good food here this, evening, or this morning. We've had good food, heavenly food. 
He has come down to us. Or rather, he's brought us up to him. Is that your heart? The direction of the modern church is not of worship, is it? The direction of modern, the modern church is entertainment. The direction of the modern church is the will of man. We have to go a different, better direction. The will of God. And to delight in the will of God. Dear friends, his ways are better. And to be part of that multitude is so glorious, so wonderful, so refreshing. You will only wish to give thanks to the Lamb if you see him. If you have eyes to see, you will see the glories of the Lamb. Spiritual eyes I'm talking about here. You will see what he endured, his victory, his glory, his power, and his value. That's why it talks about in the Bible over and over again. Eyes to see and ears to hear. You won't have to be convinced when your eyes are opened of what you see before you is glorious. It is. The question is, has God done such a work in your heart? Feeding you and clothing you and giving you life. That you see the lamb for who he is. And you're part of that glorious multitude. Remembering the lamb. Giving praise to him. For the lamb... Who was slain. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb. Forever and ever. The victories of this world. The trophies. They fade. They gather dust. They get stored in attics. But the victory of the the lamb. Will be on display. For all eternity. For all to see. Amen.